0: If you will, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. And uh, we've got um, another thing to talk about uh, this Theology of God series that we're doing. And and, and who God is to us and what He does for us. And uh, this one is, is God the Redeemer. In fact, God is not just any old Redeemer. He's the powerful Redeemer. So let's read those verses together if you would. Romans chapter 3 beginning at verse 21. We'll go down through verse 26. And it says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask, God, that you would add a blessing to the reading and to the hearing of your word. Father, let it go forth and not return void, as we already know it does, Lord. It works in our lives, Father God, if we receive it. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Human beings are constantly looking for someone to save us. And um, what I mean by that is we're always looking to um, powerful people to come in and and, and help take care of, of every situation that we're in it, it it's, it's been true since the beginning of time uh, people look to these these great leaders and emperors sometimes in the ancient world emperors were worshiped as gods and uh, they, they came in and 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 secured great um, Uh, wealth for their people or that they they, they help secure their their borders around them and and, and how they help the people to prosper and even at the expense of of other nations and others that that they consider enemies. We're always looking to these great people to come and save us. Um, We we look to politicians. We just came out of an election cycle and we talked about that last time. And sometimes we, we, we look to those leaders as they uh, gain wealth and prominence and, and uh, power, we send them to Washington, D.C. so that they'll promote um, our issues and, uh, and, and, and we look to them to help solve some of our problems uh, that, that are going on in our country. And sometimes uh, th- they do it well, sometimes they don't. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, but we, we tend to, to look to someone to, to bring us out of our situations that we're in uh it, it, it's no less true than than some of the great philosophers. one of them um was Nietzsche and Nietzsche believed that there would be a superman come about and what what did, what did he mean what did he mean by superman? He meant someone um, through the evolutionary cycle that that there would be a human being who was um so powerful so intelligent um all, 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 all their diseases would would be um, stamped out, all human weaknesses would be stamped out in this person, and he would be able to um, with his great intelligence, without, it, without any kind of, of, of flaws, be able to lead people out of this, this age of so-called uh, of, of, of violence and, and power seeking and, and uh, hatred and, and divisions that these supermen, so to speak, would be able to uh, lead us. Um, in a great way. Unfortunately, a man named Hitler got a hold of that philosophy and decided that he was going to make the Aryan race <laughs> who was going to be the salvation of, of mankind. And that, that all those who were deemed weak and inferior um, were going to be stamped out, and that, namely the Jewish people. But not just Jewish, there were other races too. And, uh, I, I, you know, it's, it, 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 it was a terrible and dangerous idea. Um, this, this, this philosophy also inspired um, one of the greatest comic book heroes of all time, and that's Superman. And um, I've always been a fan of Superman, but I always knew exactly what he was, and that um, this was a fantasy, and uh, you know, didn't buy into the philosophy behind Superman. But anyway, the comics were great, the, the stories were great, and um, I'm glad to see that, um, Of course, because I'm a big you know, DC fan more so than I am a Marvel fan, uh, you know, uh, anyway, I won't get into nerddom <laughs> this morning. Um, but I've always been a Superman fan. And he's, they've got a, another actor that's going to play him. Actually, it's an actor that's been in a few other movies as Superman. I'm excited about that. But my point here this morning is that, you know, we're always looking to someone to save us from our situations, from our problems, from our hunger, from our... Um, uh, paucity, from our um, uh, poorness, from our oppressions, whatever these external forces may be coming up against us. But the Bible tells us that there is only one true person who can save us and that is God our Redeemer. God our Redeemer. And and God the Redeemer um, is a powerful person. Sometimes when we read the Bible, sometimes people will say that the Bible is full of mythological stories where where God shows up in the world and and, and saves Israel. Well, I can tell you this. One of the main differences between the Bible and mythologies is that everything in the Bible happened in Israel's history with God, the creator of the universe, interacting with them. All the other myths and so-called legends they tend to have, happen in a far-off realm. Human beings are just um, uh, uh, side things. They, they, they're byproducts. The gods are not so much concerned with human beings. And uh, everything that's happening is happening in some sort of far-off cosmic realm. They're, they're not happening in history. They're happening in some, some imaginary place. But, but God himself, in, uh, Israel's history was tied up with the God, the creator God. Everything that they wrote was, was historical narrative. They cast it in their own history. And I, I think that's, that, that's one of the significant differences in the Bible. The Old Testament writers invented historical narrative. They, they were the inventors of that. I mean, w- without that, there would be no, no great biographies today, I, I think. But anyway, these stories of God's interactions were stories of how God delivered His people. I mean, one of the greatest stories we know of is Moses and how He delivered the Israelite people out of their slavery in Egypt. And Egypt was the most powerful empire in the world at that time. How in the world could a could a bunch of a, a small group of relatively small group of people Stand up against such a powerful nation with such a powerful army. with with The the, the greatest weapon in the world at that time was a chariot. How did that happen? It's because God is a powerful redeemer. He redeemed them from their slavery in Egypt. And how did He do it? He did it in some great and powerful, miraculous ways. He caused the ten plagues to fall upon Egypt. Um, It was after the death of the firstborn sons. That Pharaoh finally relented and recognized that God was God and he was not, and let the people go. But that sentiment from Pharaoh didn't last very long, did it? In fact, he got angry again and sent out the Israelite army in their great chariots, speeding along. And and um, even though the Israelites had a head start, it was that they were about to overtake them. And what does God do? He appears in a pillar of, of fire and, 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 and acts as their rear guard while Moses stood you know, at the edge of the Red Sea and, and raises his staff and God causes through Moses. Through Mo, you know, Mo, Moses had to have faith. He caused the Red Sea to part and the Israelites walked across it to safety. And then God you know, let, the Israel, let, let the Egyptians come they, they drove their chariots into the sea, and we know that they're wiped out and destroyed. God is a powerful Redeemer. He's a powerful Redeemer. We know that, that in the um, days of uh, the prophets, um, n- namely the prophet Elijah, uh, he came under attack. He, he was bringing God's messages to the people, saying, You need to turn back to the covenant. And he would tell uh, King Ahab, you need to return to the covenant and and stop your idolatry, and it says, and if and and if you don't, what's going to happen is God's going to cause is going to shut up the skies and it won't rain for three and a half years. Well, guess what? It didn't rain, and Elijah went and hid so that the king couldn't petition him, and he found places where he could hide, and and God took care of Elijah wherever he was happened to be hiding, and eventually at the end of three and a half years. Um, you know Elijah reappears and tells Ahab, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you um, do this challenge. You know, you, you call upon your God, Baal. I'll call upon my God, the one true God, the God of Israel, and see which one lights the altar by fire. So they go up on Mount Carmel, and you've got the, the 400 prophets of Baal, which, by the way, had almost wiped out all the prophets of God in the land, killed killed them. And then you had all the Israelite people on the other side, um, watching this event on Mount Carmel, and um, you know Elijah pours his his water all over his altar, and, and the prophets of Baal do the same thing that they douse it, and so they um, that they, they begin worshiping the God of Baal and even cutting themselves, and Elijah says, well, is, is he not going to answer? You know, where is he? Is he out relieving himself? <laughs> Elijah mocks them. And so Elijah stops and he, he, he gives the, the instructions of pouring water on his um, altar. And I, I don't think they poured water. Wa- I, I, messed, I messed up. They, they, they didn't pour water on the Baal altar. They just built the altar. But they poured water all over Elijah's altar and, and just soaked it, doused it with water. And um, Elijah just prays a simple prayer. And then from, hev- from heaven, fire falls burns up the wood, licks up the water, even burns up the rocks that were there. It was so The fire was so hot. And the Israelites cheered that the Lord was their God. And they went after those prophets of Baal and killed them right then and there. God is a powerful deliverer. He delivered the nation of, of Israel, the nation of Judah, actually, because Israel and Judah had split at one point, and the Southern Kingdom of Judah, um, you know that they, they were facing the threat from the Assyrians. That they, they, they were the world power at that time, and Hezekiah was the king uh, in Judah. and He calls the prophet Isaiah, and um, he asked the prophet, well, what, "What does the Lord say?" And the Lord said, "Well, if you humble yourself, uh, this, uh, this, uh, the, they'll fail." And, 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 and the general had even sent threatening letters to Hezekiah, and it caused all his court officials to, be, to fear. But Hezekiah you know, tells them, we, we need to stand still and allow the Lord to work. And as the um, Assyrian army approaches the gates of the city, what happens? They, they come up against God's people, and, and they were blaspheming the God of, of the Creator God. A pestilence, a plague, falls upon the Assyrian army and they're all but wiped out, and they have to tuck tail and go back to their their city, Nineveh. God was a powerful Redeemer many times in the Old Testament, more times than I can count. And in fact, that seems to be the primary image of God, is is God as the powerful Redeemer. It seems like every time God uses His power... Um, First of all, it was creation, of course. We talked about God as the creator. He spoke the world into existence, and there it was. And he saw that it was good. And he created mankind in his image and saw that mankind was good. But, of course, the the world fell into disarray when they failed God's test of faithfulness. And, And they did the thing that God told them not to do, which was not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And what that meant is, when Adam and Eve took of that, it meant that they were the ones who now for themselves decided what they thought was good or bad. You know, it, 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 it's not this objective truth or this moral right and wrong anymore. It's about whatever I want. Whatever I want is what's good for me now. And that, and that, that, that was the problem that caused the world to fall away. But even then, God was, was the powerful creator. But he was also became the his power became focused on redeeming people from that condition that they fell into in the garden. The whole reason that God used his power to redeem Israel, to deliver them from the enemy over and over again was because he wanted them to be his examples to the world of his care, of his love, and of his great and wonderful power. The problem with with Israel was um, in in their hearts they could not bring themselves to be totally loyal to God. They they still had had this self-centeredness within them. They still turned away from God at times. There are times where they faithfully kept the covenant but it wasn't long before they forgot God and began worshiping other idols and turning to their own devices. Turning away from Him in their hearts. And it seems like that even though God was this all-powerful Redeemer, the only thing that that He he didn't do as far as His power goes, and sometimes we think maybe God was limited in His power. I don't think it was because God was limited in His power. I think He limited Himself. The one thing that He could not deliver them from was their own wicked hearts. (laughs) And really and truly, that was the problem all along everything that God delivered them from had to do with the wickedness and the violence and the hatred and the pride of human beings. The Egyptian Pharaoh was a powerful emperor in the the world. He thought he was God. So he felt like he could do whatever he wanted to to the Israelite people. The Assyrian emperor who descended on um, the northern kingdom of Israel destroyed it and went after Judah and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord and the Lord delivered them. That emperor thought he was God. He could do whatever he wanted to. He could commit whatever violence he wanted to against his enemies. And even Israel when they, when they became a powerful kingdom and, and um, they, they, they desired for a king to stand over them, they were looking for someone that they could see to be their savior. And, and they chose Saul out of, the nation, out of all the tribes to be their king. Even Saul became corrupted and fell. He became prideful and sinful, turned his heart away from God, Felt like he could do whatever he wanted to do to David, to their enemies, and whoever. But eventually he fell because of his pride and wickedness. Friends, that is the enemy. The enemy is not Washington, D.C. The enemy is, is not our politicians. The enemy is not Russia or China, necessarily. The enemy is right here, the human heart. The enemy is not even really and truly the devil. The, Satan tempts people, but it's our own foolish hearts, our own sinful wills that fall to his temptation. The devil's um, sin was pride, just like, just like every one of these great emperors, great leaders in the world. His sin was pride. He turned his heart against God and he wanted all of God's power and he wanted to be the one in charge. And he fell the same way. And to get back at God, he goes after God's creation to seek His his vengeance and he still does today. Um, God allows him to still tempt people even today. But God found the way, of course he knew the way, to really and truly save his people. To really truly deliver them. To be a powerful redeemer. What does he do? He sends his right arm. He sends his son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the divine trinity, to take on human flesh, to dwell among us, to live among us, to show us that Um, Sin does not have to corrupt us, but then he also, as as his own self, suffered and died for the sins of the people so that they could be forgiven and that God's righteousness and his justice could be satisfied. The Bible says here in Romans chapter 3, and this is what Paul is driving at here, The pervasiveness of sin is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has fallen to pride in some sort of way or another. Every one of us has been corrupted in our hearts by sin. Every one of us in some way or another have lived for self. Either in the past or now. We we, we have lived for self. We, We have sought our own way. We've sought our own selfish ways. We, we, we've been pleasing ourselves. We've been prideful. No one is immune from that. No one can say that I've never been in sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what does it mean by the glory of God? It means His righteous standard in working in the world. We have all fallen below what God intended for us as, as His people. That, that, that just and fair and right moral law that God has, we have failed. And as he says here in verse 21, the righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed apart from the law. In other words, that law, that moral law of God couldn't save us. But God, the person of God, could They say, now, if God sees all of this wickedness in us, why doesn't He just forgive everything? And say, and just pass over and say "That, that that's okay, don't worry about it. If that were the case, he wouldn't be a very good God. Our pride, our wickedness, our self centeredness have separated us from the living God. We've turned our hearts against him. Everyone has done this. It's an even playing field before God. We can't sit here and compare our sin with other people. Well, you know, um, I would never uh, go out and sleep around with people. even, Even like he does. Well, I mean, when's the last time you talked bad about someone behind their back or gossiped? All of that... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Wait, have you ever lied about someone or lied to someone? We can't sit here and compare our sins to others before God. All have sinned. It's an even playing field. All have been touched by this corruption. All have been caught up in this pride. But God, in His power, sent His Son Caused him to take on human flesh. The son in full agreement to this. He is co-equal and co-eternal with. And power with God. It was his decision as well. He agreed to submit himself fully to God. Becoming obedient unto death. It tells us. In order to suffer and die for the sins of mankind. In order to break this curse of sin and death. I mean, the, the, the first power of God here is that Jesus Christ came, made, was made flesh. And He did it through through a young virgin named Mary who was humble before the Lord, who, who served Him, who loved Him. Um, she was sinful too, but she had her sins forgiven because she was faithful to the Lord. He took that, that young virgin, placed the seed of the divine within her, and knit human flesh along with him into the the, the divine Son of God. And he was born so that he could die. And that's really what happened. You can't kill the eternal God, the all-powerful God, but you can if he chooses to let you by taking on human flesh. God in his great love for us saw that humanity in his pride was going to be eternally separated from Him, they were as good as dead already. Even if they hadn't reached their physical death yet, they were as good as dead already. But He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, in human flesh, so that He Himself could die in their place, an innocent man, letting the, the sins of the world be heaped onto Him. It, 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 it's not any accident or coincidence that these Roman soldiers... Took him, beat him, cursed him. It's no coincidence that that the Israelites um, betrayed him. The Israelite leadership betrayed him. And, and, And even his own follower, his own disciple betrayed him. All the sins of the world, Jew and Gentile, were heaped upon the Son of God. And when he suffered and died as, as the Son of God, he took those things to the grave with him. He was the redemption price for us. Paul, here in this passage, calls it the propitiation the sacrifice that satisfies God. God, by giving up his own son, paid a great price to purchase us back from our own pride. And in that act, our sins can be forgiven if we but turn to Him. In in that act, uh, Jesus has become the price to buy us back from, from our own sin, from our own corruption. It's His willing sacrifice for us that can transform our hearts. And as the prophets told us long ago, He mentions the law and the prophets here, as the law and prophets promised long ago, that I would take the heart of stone and turning it into a heart of flesh, that the new covenant would take away our hardness of heart towards God and make us a soft heart and a loving heart towards God. How does he do that? It takes a powerful act, the act of God becoming man and dying for our sins so that the curse of sin and death can be broken. And even more than that there is another powerful act that happens here the final act and that is Jesus' resurrection. Jesus Christ Himself rose again from the grave. He did not just suffer and die in vain. I, I don't believe His atonement would have been effective for us if He had not risen again. And, and, and certainly the, 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 the apostles and the disciples would have turned away and said, well, Jesus was just executed and he died. Jesus proved everything that he said and did was from God through his resurrection. And in that, he secured the power of God for us to redeem us. Jesus offered himself for our sins. So that the one thing that could be dealt with in humanity, the one thing that caused all of the oppression, all the violence, all the wickedness, all the enemies in the world, Jesus Christ solved that problem within himself by suffering and dying for our sins so that we might receive forgiveness and we might be transformed and restored to God's image again. He does that. He does that for us. And the question is, do you believe it? Because the Apostle Paul says that we must receive it. Not work for it, but receive it as a gift by our faith in Jesus Christ. That's still some powerful words here in verse 23. Well, I'll I'll even begin at verse 22. It says, The righteousness of God through faith in Christ For all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's a free gift that we receive by faith in Christ, not by following the law, but by faith. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who took on human flesh dwelled among us, and His death became the redemption price for our sins and brought us back from death, a spiritual death, a separation from God. Only through His power as the great Redeemer could that happen. All through history. The Bible, I call it salvation history. It's all about God's redemption all the way through, leading up to Jesus Christ. God kept delivering and delivering and redeeming His people, holding out His hand to them, and kept pushing them away. And then when finally when the Messiah comes, He takes away that hardness of heart because He sacrificed Himself for them. That is the greatest power in the world. And you and I need to avail ourselves of it. Let's stand.